Dublin's Talking Sport with Ken Doherty and Reggie Corrigan. Sponsored by insuremycars.ie, low-cost car insurance specialists. See how much you can save at insuremycars.ie. On Sunshine 106.8. Sunshine 106.8. Sunshine 106.8 Dublin's Talking Sport Welcome to Dublin's Talking Sports podcast with me, Ken Doherty, and my good friend, Reggie Corrigan. Thanks for tuning in to catch up on the latest GAA, football, rugby, and all the crack. Enjoy the show, and don't forget, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. Morning, Reg. How are you? Oh, never better. Never better, I have to say. It's a beautiful morning again, nice and bright. Uh, we've had a week of it now at this stage. Uh, need a drop of rain, Ken, as they say, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. I doubt it. No, we don't. Definitely don't need that. I, I, I hate when people say that. Absolutely drives me crazy. The weather is great. We're loving every bit of it. Um, and there's loads going on as well, I have to say. But... Um, Plenty going on in your world too. The old snooker um, hitting the headlines this week. Probably, you know, it's a, it's a pity the way that it's all gone, but uh, it's yeah. been dealt with well and there's been some pretty serious um, bans handed down. Liang uh, Wenbo and Li Hang handed lifetime bans and then 10 other players, um, you know, varying from five years down to two years for various different... I thought I saw Sean Murphy was feeling that they should have been all banned for life. So uh, World Snooker yeah. really taking it serious. Very serious, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I suppose, like, when he says they, they should be all banned for life, you know, there's sort of an argument towards it, but, you know, I think uh, some of those young lads, particularly, and particularly one of them, Bai Lang Ning, who was a whistleblower initially, hmm. Uh, who started everything, you know, because he was put under pressure from Wenpo and uh, he'd been sort of coerced into throwing matches, uh, which was unfortunate. He was very, very sort of young, young player, very uh, inexperienced, very naive, and uh, he sort of fell victim to Wenpo in a way. So that's why Wenpo, uh, and it wasn't the first time that Wenpo had done it. He'd done it to him a few times and a few to the other players as well. He put them under pressure that he said, look, you're playing such and such, you're going to lose them anyway you might as well lose and if you don't you know you'll suffer the consequence basically but he but Bai Lang Ning was a, was a whistleblower and only for him really the other guys would have probably got away with it for a lot more time and he probably he would feel he probably should have been looked on a little bit more lenient uh, but the other guys definitely not I think the bands have been suitable uh, particularly for Wembo and Lee Hang uh, Liu Ning got 10 years 8 to 10 years uh Bing Tao, who was the top 16 player Masters winner, uh, he got eight years, reduced to five. Uh, Zing Tong, who was another top 16 player, won the UK Championship German Masters last season, uh, or the season before, I should say. Uh, he got uh, two and a half years, reduced to eight innings. So, yeah, very, very strong message to, uh, you know, to the world, basically, that, you know, we've caught these lads and they've been handed to very well. Mm. It's it's interesting, you know. It's it's great to see this sort of a stance being taken, and it does send out that message. But it's also such a difficult sport. I mean, how do you police it? I mean, I I, I guess I, I get the fact that the bans have been there; that there's a deterrent. But I, I imagine there's vast sums of money involved, especially you know there could be 
betting syndicates coming out of Asia that are just you know finding ways around all of this. Yeah. And with it being the type of game, any sport where there's a one-on-one like this, you can disguise it so easy they just had a bad day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I mean, the amount of money that was involved, maybe not so much over here, but uh, certainly in the in the betting syndicates and betting markets in China, where it's illegal to bet, but the betting still goes on. Uh, it's underground betting, and, and particularly in in Hong Kong and China, that's where a lot of the money is made from a lot of sports, not mm. just from snooker. Mm. Um, the vast amounts that can go sort of sort of underground betting, basically, that can be sort of go undetected. I think they're in the markets that a lot of the money from these players would have been made, you know, and it's very very hard to police that, but. You know, we have Sport Radar who watches every single bet that goes on, you know, the 365, which sort of covers a lot of the Asian markets. And they, they, once they see the spike, Richie, yeah. you know, like you see the line going on, once they see the spike in betting, and particularly on scores and stuff like that, it's investigated right away. Right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose there's so much technology out there yeah. now that can trace everything that will yeah, try and make it better. But I but think those markets, as you said, those underground markets, in Asia, you know, where betting is illegal and it can't be, you can't go into a shop and join it and have a bet on snooker and everything is all underground, you know. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, uh, those lads are no fools either. They're going to see if there's a heap of money coming in uh, on, on an unusual bet, they'll, they'll cop it, but yeah, look, exactly, I suppose. Yeah. And of course, the market changes. And once the market changes, then you will have the very experienced players and betters over at this side of the world they will follow the markets and they'll follow the spikes. Yeah. And if they see there's some spikes going on, they follow it and that's when they pile in and that's when the, the spikes even get higher. You know? mm-hmm. Well, I think World Snooker were left with in a very tough situation but they've mm. dealt with it very well. Um, they are hefty bans. I mean, two play, players banned for life and, and another 10. Um, you know, it's a lot of players. It's a lot of people. It's a lot, a lot of people. Of players. It was, I know? mean, Reggie, I, I would have practiced with some of these players every single day, you know, yeah. things from Wee Academy. I know them so well, mm. you know, and as well as they've been strong, it's, it's, a, it's a sad day, really, you know. And, you know, I'm sad for them in a way, yeah. you know, but we're sort of glad they've been caught. Yeah. And, uh, so it sort of makes emotions in a way. But the, the good thing is that they've caught them and they've handed out. You know, strict enough bands, really. Yeah, it's very easy to say, yeah, hand them all life bands, but you know, it's sometimes yeah, every in every case is individual. You have to go into them, you know, with a fine tooth comb and get the whole story. And I think that's what they've done. They're being fair to the young lads that it gives them a chance to come back uh, because they've been coerced and, and put under a lot of pressure. Whereas the other guys, the real perpetrators. Severely. It's just hard to see them coming back, though, Ken, into a, a an arena and how they'd yeah. be received and the players they'd be playing against. The likes of Sean Murphy, outspoken the way he has been, yeah. uh, you know, they, they feel aggrieved. They feel a certain way. It, it, it's hard to see how they'd be allowed or welcomed back into the four, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I wouldn't say they'd be welcomed back with open arms, you know, yeah. but it gives them a chance yeah. if they do want to come back. Yeah. They have a chance, you know. Right? Yeah. If you don't, everybody deserves sometimes a second chance. Absolutely, right? yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Okay. Uh, they, if they don't, you know, they, they don't. It's emotional. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, moving on, because we both love the sport so much, uh, I'd say, like myself, you were an absolute shock earlier on during the week with the oh. golf news yeah, and yeah. the merger that's <laughs> come about. I have to say, I just feel so sorry for Rory McIlroy. <laughs> I think he's been made... 
looks so, you know. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, it's Very terrible. In a way, you know, I can't believe it, to be honest. You know? No. And I don't, I don't know the reason, complete reason why. Maybe because over the litigation that they didn't, they didn't stand a chance in court. I don't, I'm not quite sure, but what a turnaround. You know, for all those players who stood by the PTA, you know, uh, could have easily taken the money. But you, you say that, you know, they're, they're very wealthy guys in any way. A fair play to them for standing up, you know. They could have taken the easy money and gone that way. But, you know, you have to admire Rory McIlroy for standing up for what he believed in. I think that was very admirable in the end. Oh, absolutely. He's come out of it uh, unscathed. He's come out of it. Um, you know, having his principles intact, uh, as yeah. as has Tiger. I mean, they were offered the best part of a billion to go uh, and yeah. join. You know, seven and eight hundred and nine hundred million or something. They were stupid yeah. money. So, uh, and I know they have all the money in the world, but um, I suppose the big question is how how has the PGA allowed itself to get into this position whereby? Reading all the reports that I've read, they kind of were left with little choice but to yeah. take a deal or do a deal because the game itself was was going to go to the wall if they didn't. I don't understand how that allowed they allowed that to happen. Yeah, you would think like when Liv came along initially, yeah. why did they just like do some sort of negotiation instead of getting to this uh, stage? You know, uh, yeah, it's it's quite bizarre, really. You know, but. Um, and it's sort of, it wasn't a split for golf. I mean, for a golf fan like we are, you know, it's good for the sport that they're all going to play in the same events. And anyway, you know, that makes it more competitive. Uh, I didn't like the split initially. And, and I didn't like the fact that you could just come in and buy players and take them away on a different tour. I thought that was wrong. You know, if it happened in my sport, I'd be very aggrieved about it. Like, you know, I, don't, I think, you know, there's some things that... Some things in life that you just can't buy money you shouldn't be able to buy, you know. Yeah, well, you know, you know, that's how professional rugby started, Ken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in the very, very beginning of it, around ninety four, ninety five, I think it was uh, maybe ninety three when it happened. But Murdoch was coming in; they were doing a, a split. Uh, they were going to take away um, rugby players because it was amateur in those days, and set up their own professional league. And a lot of players had. Um, expressed interest in that a lot of the top players expressed interest in that and that's when World Rugby was formed and the whole thing they, all the unions came together and they said oh, we have, we, we, like, this is a real uh, threat we have to come up with a solution to this and that's yeah. when professionalism was formed yeah. but um, so like money kind of does dictate things yeah, but, yeah. but that was a good thing yeah, yeah, it was good because it was handled in the very beginning well it was it a good thing I mean for some yeah, we say it's a good thing but like you know, here we are, twenty odd years later. Um, so we'll say twenty-eight, coming up on thirty years later, and you've got three Premiership clubs in the UK gone to the wall. London Irish, the latest ones uh, to fall by the sword. There's going to be only ten teams in that Premier League uh, next year. The All Blacks are suffering dramatically from the loss of players being leaked all over the world to Japan and to France and these places chasing the money um, we've we, we've benefited from it here in Ireland no question about it but it took us a long time to catch up with it so yeah. you know you say it's a good thing but the amateur game has suffered dramatically because of it as well so it's uh, it depends you know a lot of people out there don't think it's a good thing they, they, they yeah, think yeah. a lot of the, the principles from the past are lost and everything else but do you not think the amateur game has flourished because of how well Leinster are doing, how well Ireland are doing. I mean, this, this country, or you know, rugby is almost as big as like football, or you know, or GAA. It's, it's certainly just as popular. Yeah, um, it, it, uh, if you go down to the clubs, though, back twenty years ago, 
Well, if you go back 20 years ago, the clubs were the lifeblood of Irish rugby. They were providing the players. So you had the best players playing at club level. Uh, and the club game, the AEL, was a really good competition. And it was, a, you know, a, a big competition that many people went to. And the clubs were well supported. Now a lot of the clubs will tell you they're not getting uh, the support that they used to get. They're struggling. Some of them, There's uh, the AEL is, a, you know, a totally different league to what it was. So, yeah, you know, it, it, it's... It's pros and cons. There's pros and cons yeah, yeah. and everything, you know. But uh, certainly, in my opinion, the professional game has just become a total different entity. It's a, it's a, just a, a completely different thing. And it's it, and that and I suppose the biggest fear here, Ken, is that this is happening right across the board in sport. So you've got live golf yeah. now. You know, you've got the Premier League in uh, England where you're looking at teams like Newcastle. You look at Man City playing in the Champions League la- uh, later. There hasn't really been much talk about it. They're facing 115 charges that we don't know whether or not they're going to be yeah. uh, held up or not. So will this will these titles be stripped off them uh, in later years? Nobody yeah. knows. But there isn't the same build-up as there used to be. And you'd wonder, um, you know, that, that's sport washing, that's money going through the game. How many more sports is going to happen to? Yeah, yeah, true. You're true, true about the Champions League. Uh, but I think, you know, when you look at the Premiership, these days compared to the way it used to be you know it's it's a lot bigger you know so many people watching it uh, you know you have games every week and, and the professional game is probably flourishing because of the money yeah I don't, I don't agree with the sports I think it should be administered a lot better hmm. you know particularly with the finance when they brought in the financial fair play rule I mean it's just been ridiculous it's been you know City have made a mockery of it you know and even Man United at times my own club yeah. you know um, you know, because they're they're the ones with the biggest money, and 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 the small minnows are are sort of theater clubs to the bigger clubs for the players. Yeah, uh, but they have to be a lot more stricter on uh, how they administer the financial fair play. That they've got to balance their books. Um, certainly, Man City don't seem to be doing it. Chelsea hasn't been doing it. Man United and Liverpool for a long, long time. Um, but certainly, the biggest perpetrators are City and, and Chelsea. But they have to deal with them. As severely uh, as they as they can do. Yeah. Well, stop, again, stop it, but will they have the? Uh, will they do that because the money that's involved yeah, there? Like at, at the end of the day, came with all of this money that's coming in and everything else, mm. it always comes back to it's going to cost the fans. They're the ones that are going to end up because you look at the price now. If you yeah. have to buy your kids a Premier League jersey at the beginning of the season, it's a hundred and hundred and twenty quid for a jersey. Mm. Tickets for the matches have gone through the roof. Trying to get tickets, corporate packages, like the the ordinary fan, the ordinary person. Sport at that level is just getting further and further away from them, even down to having to pay for your Sky Sports package. That just keeps going up and up and up. And that's all just to pay for all of this kind of stuff. So, you know, while there's progress in certain areas, it ends up coming back and costing the ordinary fan. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. at the end of the day, unfortunately, that's that's, uh, that's what's happening. Yeah. You know? and, uh, uh, but a lot of clubs try to keep the prices down, you know, in the Premiership. Yeah. And uh, I mean, even in Manchester United, you know, a season ticket at Man United, you know, it might be 800, 900 pounds mm. a year, which mm. is not too bad, really. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a ticket in the Stratford End or in the North Stand for 800 pounds, it's not too bad. But I completely understand where you're coming from. They, uh, they take a price at the end of the day, the fans and, you know, as you say, the pubs and, and the Skype yes. packages. Yeah. We're just... the ones who are paying in the end for, for a lot of the wages. And, yeah. You know, for a lot of this, uh, for all the, the teams that we support, unfortunately. You know.
Now, established in 1982, the Wicklow 200 is Ireland's premier cycling sport of the 40th edition will take place on Sunday the 11th of June starting in Bray County, Wicklow and I'm delighted to be joined uh, on the line now by one of the participants, the sprightly 81-year-old Tom Waynes. Morning, Tom. How are you? Good morning. Uh, you're very welcome to the show. Great to have you. Now, uh, this uh, event is taking place on Sunday, um, and as I said, it's gone on 40 years at this stage. Have you taken part in most of those years? Most? Nothing like. No, I've done about 12 of them. No, this will be my 12th. Um, I did my first one back in 2003, and it sort of got to be a bit of a habit. And uh, the last one was in 2019. And then, of course, there was COVID. Yes, that put a stop to everything. Well, being from Bray myself, uh, I know Wicklow well, and you couldn't pick a more beautiful place for this event to take place, could you? Ah, yes. I mean, Garden of Ireland and all that. But um, also, it's interesting, uh, for several years, there was a very standard route uh, that didn't change. But now, uh, for this revived edition, they've done a completely new route, a big, big loop round for circumnavigates Wicklow. So that should be interesting. And tell me, Tom, how many people uh, usually take part in this every year? Well, uh, nothing to do with the organisation, but uh, several thousand. I mean, it's, uh, as you said at the beginning, it's one of the the oldest sportives in the country. And Mm. I think it has a big tradition behind it. And people like to flex their muscles and see, well, can I do it? Because it's longer than most of them and hillier. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, there's no doubt there's plenty of hills to, to, to overcome. And it's partnered as well with the Wicklow 100, so there's a shorter version that takes That's place right, as yeah. well. Okay. Uh, which one will you be doing? I'll be doing the 200. So it's hard work getting up early in the morning for a 100. <laughs> we do that any weekend. Any weekend. And tell me, how long would it take to cover the, the, the 200? Uh, yeah, well, um, thing is, this is not a race. This is... Uh, participative event and uh, I'm looking if I I hope to do it in 10, half, 11 hours but I know that I have club mates uh, and I'm not going to name any of them because they only swell their heads but there are people who expect to get around in, in, in 8 hours or less Yeah, yeah. I'm not that type of person and tell me what, what you mentioned club mates are you in the Bray Wheelers or what club are you in? oh no, God, no. no, no. Is that their, are they the rivals? No, no. No, I'm an Orwell Wheelers. Orwell Very Wheelers. fine club, uh, based here in Dundrum. And uh, yeah, I've been in it for this is my 12th year. Uh, magnificent club. Some clubs, I think, uh, tend to concentrate on harder ended things, you know, hardcore racers. Uh, and they're then, the, you get them in Orwell as well, but uh, Orwell covers the entire range of cycling ability. Um, we have very young kids uh, who've been taught the basics of cycling and we have uh, up at the other I suppose I might be older than most members but uh, certainly there's a place for me in the club and I'm I'm very happy there. And tell me Tom it's it's incredible isn't it the uh, you know the advancement of of cycling in this country over the last number of years every Sunday Saturday Sunday especially out the world's weekly way. Well just look at it from from my perspective that I'm not the uh, since I joined the club. Put it this way, uh, maybe I think have yeah, was ten years, ten or eleven years ago. I think there were about 150 members, and we're told now that I don't have access to the membership list. We're told there's something like 500, 
and uh, just reflects the general popularity of cycling because um, it's something that literally everyone can do if they've kept themselves any sort of reasonable shape. That's fantastic. And uh, it's fulfilling. Of course, it's, it's, uh, if you don't race, it's not competitive. None of that's still competitive stimulus. Um, but uh, it's, yeah, it's fun. Fun and fulfilling. Time for us to talk golf, and I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Peter O'Brien from Top Dog Golfer. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Good morning, Reggie. Very good. Good. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us here this morning in what has been a pretty uh, a big week, it has to be said, for golf. Uh, shock a lot in a lot of uh, quarters around the world uh, with the announcements this week. And, um, you know, I remember talking here on the show. The voices were saying golf and the threat it posed to uh, golf in general. Um, it seemed like all of the voices were saying that it won't last, it's got no future, the PGA will stand firm, they're holding on to the big names, Rory, Tiger, all of those guys uh, doing what seemed to be the right thing and standing by the PGA. And then a complete U-turn this week and those lads made to look a little bit foolish. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I suppose at the end of the day it was a business decision, really. Um, money... Getting a tour in and fund that the uh, Saudi Arabians have, um, once they committed to, to um, creating a tour in, in opposition or uh, to the PGA, well then, once they stay there, they weren't going to go away. And I think it was a pragmatic decision, I think, to be honest. Um, it isn't going to mean that there's, you know, the... the um, detail around it is still pretty kind of vague mm. but at the end of the day it's going to um, you know what Liv were doing was it, it, it's like I mean got out of the, and all of this relation to kind of Saudi Arabia and the regime and all of that it, 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 it's like I mean golf the demographic demographic in most golf courses is um, getting older and older so what they were doing was bringing something different to the game with his shotgun starts and teams and all of this stuff and no cut. Um, so trying to get younger people to actually engage more with it. Hmm. So, you know, it may be a positive. Um, yeah, I, I suppose, and fired onto this one way of looking at it, then there's another way of looking at it where you're watching the, uh, you know, the scenes of beer cans and stuff being fired onto the green every time a player hits the green. Uh, was it the 16th or 17th hole? I can't remember which one it is. Um, you know, those famous scenes and, and a different, you're talking about a different demographic. Yes, absolutely. But it's completely changing the game as we know it um, in the sense that, you know, how, how did the PGA allow itself to get into this situation in the first place is what I suppose the question I'm trying to get to. It was a bad management to this point that they didn't move with the times the PGA. and realise that there needed to be changes there. Um, possibly. You know, I mean, it, it's... Um, the PGA was... You, you could look at it as being, you know, it's... it's um, it's around a long time. It doesn't have any competition. So, you know, that generally kind of leads to a situation where um, you, you don't really think you need to change mm. until something else appears. And, you know, okay, I mean, I'm not advocating um, changing golf dramatically so that uh, you can you can walk into your local to the rest. 
golf club in a, in a swimsuit. Um, I, you know, I mean, it's still there, change is needed, but not to the radical um, of um, rowdiness and drunkenness on the golf course. Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, but that's what we seem to be seeing a lot of. They're the ones. They're the scenes that are taking the the uh, the headlines. Let's say you know crowds of people um, just kind of losing their own themselves. And yeah, it's great fun and it's it makes great content for for Twitter and for uh, uh, you know um, Instagram and all the rest of it. But how how are you supposed to play golf when there's four thousand cans of beer being fired at you as you land on the green? It's weird. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be advocating that at all. Yeah. I mean, that's that's just um, that's a sensationalist. I mean, if you if you look at you know if you take the waste management um, uh, 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 tournament in, yeah. in, the, in in the PGA Tour and on the seventy or whatever it is on, the, on that part three, like I mean, they purposefully set that up with alcohol being a major part of that hole, and it's probably the hole that's remembered the most on that course. Yeah, you know, so like I mean. You don't go to the extremes that it's like that across the course, and I don't think going to that extreme any on one particular hole is where we want to be. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it just creates it, it kind of it's, it's over the top. Yeah, it is. It, 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 no, it's, it's, it's designed to be sensationalist and draw attention to it. But I suppose uh, the the other thing to talk about is just. It seems that Jay Monaghan and, and Jimmy Dunn, these seem to be the two names that are, kind of, you know, to the forefront on all of this. And they were very um, vocal in condemning uh, Liv and the regimes behind it and where the money was coming from. And as I said, the players that stuck with the tour and were, you know, voicing their opinions on that, um, they, they kind of blindsided those players a little bit and, and, and kind of hung them out to dry a bit, did they not? You can look at it in two ways, but I mean, I suppose initially um, when you have uh, uh, somebody setting up in opposition to you and they were in a very dominant position, they thought maybe that that the the live was just some kind of a, um, you know... Fad. going to last for a year, a fad, yeah. and it would be gone, you know. Um, and then... The pragmaticness um, came into play, and in that uh, really we need to merge because if we don't, well then um, it's going to start costing the PGA a lot more money for the simple reason that you know Liver putting up a substantial amounts of money on, on a weekly basis hmm. for their golfers. And um, okay, it remains to be seen where it's going to go. But I mean, um, I, I, like. You know, you, you think fair play to 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 to, to McElroy and the others who who stayed with their principles. Mm. I mean, they were offered you know obscene amounts of money to go there. Yeah. Um, right. I mean, I saw something during the week where, where Donald Trump called this about a number of months ago. He said there'd be an inevitable merger. Yeah. Well, money money kind of uh, rules the roost, doesn't it? And we're seeing it across sport. I suppose that's the biggest fear for a lot of people is that, you know, money is just buying sport left, right and centre. And this sets another example of that being the case. Um, when you have a bottomless pit of money, you just you, and you keep buying off all the top players, it was impossible for those players to turn that money down, many would say, because they're at a certain stage in their career. They still had big enough names to draw the crowds. 
but they probably had a limited amount of time left in their careers, some of them, and they probably felt uh, this is for their families, setting themselves up for the rest of their lives. And you can understand it. You know, you're 40 odd years of age, you're coming to the end of your career, you get thrown a heap of money. Uh, it's your retirement fund. You can understand where they're coming from from that, if anybody is perfectly honest about it. But I suppose the big concern for a lot of people is what does it mean for the future of the game? What else will change? Will the uh, w- will it mean that we're looking at you know a Masters tournament played over? Uh, 54 holes for example just to go completely off the wall on it how much influence will all these money men actually have now on the games that we've known for so many years um, personally I don't I, I don't think there's going to be a huge change to be honest okay. I, I think that that um, the, the Saudi Arabians have you know achieved a major goal here mm. by um, being recognised and if it means they have a they have a standalone tour, and that, and that players can play in all tours, which you think this is the way it's going to go. I don't know now, but mm. I, I definitely the Masters and a lot of the established um, tournaments. I don't believe they will be changed. You know. Okay. Yeah. Um, it'll be a lot will depend on what the public want. Mm. Yeah, it will. So indeed. if a format, you know, if a format's um, cobbled together by by both tours and it becomes much more attractive to the viewing public well then maybe that's what you're going to get yeah you know TV is everything yeah well that's it and that's ultimately what it'll all come down to Uh, and money uh, talks okay let's move on Um, there's a big golf challenge going on uh, uh, this weekend as well Um, of course Top Dog Golf App uh, you're involved in that tell us a little bit about Top Dog Golf App Um, basically um during lockdown, I'll give you a brief, brief yeah. very briefly. Um, there was obviously weren't any competitions, um, so I would imagine most courses, um, people, were, guys were playing against each other, and um, one person held the money and did the scores, the usual story. And we kind of looked at this and said, "Well, look, why don't we develop a simplistic app that could handle that, and just to take in the money, handle the scores." And and have a live leaderboard, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Right. And it kind of evolved from that. We 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 developed it in all through last year and um, tested it with. Um, we ran a number of um, events, kind of low key, um, sponsored by McGorks Golf, and just to test the concept and test it technically. So this is our first major um, event. Mm-hmm. Um, with Irish guide, well, it's Irish guide dogs. It's an Irish guide dogs fundraiser, basically. Yeah. Um, Padraig Harrington is their ambassador. Mm. So, the difference is that um, historically, you fundraisers were basically in the form of a golf classic. You're probably um, aware, and generally, you know, it's a team of four, and the, who, the the fundraiser would have to have a presence on one particular course. Yeah. Um, have goodie bags, etc., 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 and go through the process of getting people to play, getting people to sponsor teams, and generally to be open to kind of businesses to um, put a team, enter a team, and the normal public. Well, I wouldn't say the normal public, but the Joe Soap who plays on the Sunday, he, him or her wouldn't really have a chance to actually um, be involved. So the the concept is that um, it's a multi-course event, which you can play across the entire country. Right. So you could play in your course in... in, in, in um, Greystones is my course, yeah. Greystone, yeah, yeah, perfect. 
with Clough and I could be playing in Tralee and you can have guys playing in, and ladies playing anywhere around the country um, they play on their, on their course and they join the, they, they download the app join the competition and they put in their score very good so obviously with, with WHS um, a handicap system yeah the pitch is levelled and everybody is playing off um, they're playing off par off flat yeah so um, and it works so they really um, this weekend it's it's a, it's a as I said it's a fundraiser for Irish Guide Dogs and um, really we've we've found that the feedback has been hugely positive for anybody who's played yeah but we're we're finding um, that it's getting the message out of the multi-course concept right. is actually the biggest is our biggest challenge to be honest Declan Drake with you for the next few minutes here on GAA in the company of Sean Lane our regular hurling analyst who will be looking ahead to the big provincial championship finals over the course of the weekend in Munster and in Leinster we start, though, this morning uh, by paying tribute to the late, great Teddy McCarthy, the Cork Jewel star. Everybody this stage well aware of his achievement in 1990, being the only player in the history of the association to win senior hurling and football championship medals in the one year. Indeed, in the space of about three weeks, it was in that glorious September of 1990. Well, Teddy unfortunately passed away during the week at the age of 57 in Cork. His funeral is taking place down there this morning. And uh, I am really appreciative of uh, this man joining us on the phone line now this morning is uh, Shawnee McCarthy, a guest on the programme previously. We had intended to talk hurling on the pitch, Shawnee, this, this weekend, but unfortunately the events of Tuesday have overtaken us. First of all, thank you very much indeed for taking our call this morning. Really appreciate your time uh, because, of course, Teddy's funeral is taking place later in Glanmire. Um, Teddy the man, Teddy the legend, you knew him well for many, many years, Shawnee. Yeah, Dixon, he was an absolute legend. Um, great guy. Uh, I suppose we've seen a lot of tr- uh, tributes to him uh, since, his, since his death on Tuesday evening about and photographs of him leaping the air. But there was a lot more to Teddy than just his phenomenal ability to, to catch the ball high in the air. He was a very, very intelligent player, um, very um, very talented player, very smart, ahead of his time. Um, and as you as you just paid tribute to him there, he the only guy in, in the history of the association to have uh, won two medals in two weeks, two All-Ireland medals in two weeks. And... That will never happen again in um, in the history of the association unless the structure changes. A phenomenal guy, an absolute legend, a great friend, and I am very upset about his death and his untimely death. And at a, such a young age, and he was offering a lot back into the uh, the GA where he was vice chairman of SARS. He was training junior club there the last couple of years. Passage where he, um, he loved, his son Keen that played with Cork was back playing with. Um, and his, his wife Una came from um, but just great great guy couldn't say enough about him Fan- yeah. phenomenal guy yeah, well, sincere sympathies to you and all the Cork team of that generation and Cork GA games <laughs> in general, Shawnee. Um, you met him as recently as last Saturday, I believe, at Porky Keeve uh, during the, the, the Cork-Kerry match and he was in great form. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
he had he had a little bit of a um, I suppose a health scare there about two years during COVID, and but he was he was well back out of it, and he had shed a few pounds. We all carry an extra few pounds, but he was back cycling and. He was in great form, and I met him at half time at a Cork Kerry football game in uh, Parky Keeve, and we were chatting and laughing. And um, I, I left him when I said, "Jesus, Terry, we must um, get organise our turkey's anniversary. We were supposed to get our 1990 turkey anniversary get together in COVID, stop that." And uh, he said to me, "Yeah, let's do it." He said, "In September, when everything is is uh, wound up, he said, give me a show if you want any any help." He said, "And um, we get all the lads together and we we'll have a bit of fun." And that was that was last Saturday. That's last Saturday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. amazing. But yeah. I mean, you talk about the the hurling. You played with him in '86 and in '90 when he won his two All Ireland hurling medals. And we've all seen, as you say, the iconic pictures soaring into the so- the sky to pick the Schlitter out of the air in Tom Semple's field or the Old Park or indeed Crow Park as well, as he did many 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 times. He just seemed to have such an engine in him, Shawnee, that the drive and the, the, the determination to be the best and for Cork to be the best. Yeah, uh, phenomenal. I suppose I would have played with him before that. He, he just, uh, I suppose he would have been a year older than me and I would have played two-year minor with him and two-year under-21 with him. So I knew Teddy um, a long, long time and he, he's, he's, I suppose his ability and his skill was to the fore um, back then when people knew about him. There was this fantastic player coming up through the ranks in SARS. One of one of Fitzgibbon one of what you call it, a hearty with uh, North Mon at the age of fifteen. You know, so he's he's he was a legend at a very young age. He he was a character, didn't like training too much, but as you just said, had this ability when he went out, when he put on that red jersey, he had this phenomenal um I suppose will to win, wanted to win. Um, at all costs, he would go through a brick wall for the red jersey, um, and he would he would tell people off if they weren't putting put it in on the field. No, training was a different story. Teddy would always take the the short corner, but <laughs> he did. He he had where he where where he do that. He had an abundance of skill and talent, and he was just a phenomenal leader and always up for the win. Always mm-hmm. performed on the big day. You never ever would doubt Teddy's ability or have go questioning whether he'd turn up or not on the big day. He always just did and loved the occasion. The bigger the occasion, the better he played and loved the challenges, you know. Just one of those guys, unique, um, you know, they're rare, but he had a fantastic talent for wanting to win always. Yeah, I think if, if you could sum Teddy Mack up in one word, it was unique and even the, the, the great respect that was shown by many former um, foes, if you like, on the hurling and football fields that turned up in Glanmire for the removal last night and will no doubt turn up for the funeral later on this morning as well. Shawnee, as I say, uh, I really appreciate you taking our call this morning. I know it's a difficult time for you and all of that generation in, in Cork uh, as well. Uh, we wish you all the best and uh, hope to talk to you in more pleasant circumstances soon. Thanks, Declan. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed there to the great Shawnee McCarthy. Great teammate of the late, great Teddy McCarthy, who will be laid to rest in Cork this morning. That will be some funeral, I can tell you that. To rival Jack Lynch and Christy Ring and all the greats who have gone before him. Sean Lane, our regular hurling analyst, is with us uh, in studio this morning. Sean, thank you indeed for for being with us. Uh, Good to see you in person again. Your own thoughts on, on the late great Teddy McCarthy? Yeah, I suppose Teddy, to me, being not a Cork man, but looking in from outside... um, 
definitely got, has to go down Declan as the greatest uh, dual star of all time I mean I look back with Jack Lynch and Jimmy Barry Murphy Ray Cummins they all have one football Ireland but Teddy had two football two hurling you know definitely has to go down uh, my great thoughts and Sean he's right he had so many attributes but definitely the courage and, and the bravery attached to these big catches in Crow Park or as you say Tom Semple Stadium uh, they're legendary you put up a few pieces yourself and photographs during the week of them absolutely tremendous you could show him to any of the kids his attitude towards the game particularly on the field was incredible he was a real leader and and uh, you know very very sad occasion for the family indeed sympathies to una and his family what i would say finally on this is that you know people in generations gone past would have asked their father or maybe their grandfather did you ever see christy ring play uh, and a lot of people were fortunate enough to see Ring play in his heyday but a lot of people now I think will ask the same question of um, about Teddy McCarthy in, in the years to come I was certainly privileged to see him play many times as indeed were you and Shawnee McCarthy is right there we'll never see the likes of him again so mm. rest in peace Big Teddy OK that's uh, enough on that particular issue let's uh, turn our attention now on Dublin's Talking Sport to football and uh, the Dublin Miners are in action this afternoon. The All-Ireland quarter-final they'll take on Cork at UPMC Nolan Park. Throw-in time there is at one o'clock. We wish all the crew there every success in their continuing endeavours to bring the Tom Markham Cup back to the capital. The seniors were in action last Sunday, uh, last Saturday rather, uh, 22 points to 13 victors over Kildare in round two of the Senior Football Championship. Better performance than we've seen from the team in previous matches it must be said and Collie Baskell of Ballyboden St Enda's earning man of the match there well after the game I caught up with uh, Dublin boss uh, Desi Farrell let's hear what he had to say in the tunnel area of Nolan Park to us um, it was a pleasing performance there's always aspects of course that will um, pique your interest in terms of trying to find areas to improve uh, so uh, yeah but uh, generally overall I thought the application was very good today six day turnaround was tough and um, I think the lads showed a great fight and determination yeah I thought at times in the first half we probably looked a little bit open you know it was better in the second half uh, but that's something you're always trying to shore up and uh, play lockdown defence so uh, that's definitely an element um, but overall happy uh, delighted with all the young lads again today um, you know Sean McMahon Darren Newcomb in defence I thought were really solid um, Collie Baskell, Sean Bugler, you know, King Murphy, Larkin Adele came in, uh, made really solid con- contributions as well. So yeah, yeah, happy with how all the younger players are going and they're finding their feet and uh, a little bit more comfortable in their skin. Um, it's a big step up in class, of course, from club or from underage and. Uh, uh, they're doing really well and games like this bring them to talk a lot Desi about the consistency of performance week in week out are you seeing a, a gradual improvement in that respect like the last time you played Kildare was only about two points in it a month or so ago in Croke Park yeah um, you know this was a big game for us um, no doubt about it and it was good to see the quality of the performance was there um, you know it definitely there's plenty to go after and um, you know the competition gets stiffer uh, very, very quickly, and um, it's. Uh, we'll look forward to the next day, um, two weeks' time, 
you win that, you lose that. You know, we, we still don't know where we stand. You know, but ultimately, um, there's uh, tougher games uh, coming down the track very, very quickly, and, and we got to be ready for those. And that's that's the challenge for us now. Any more developments on the injury front? I mean, um, Kieran Kilkenny was selected to start, but but didn't, and one or two other changes as well for you today. Yeah, we, you know, Kieran picked up a bang uh, last week, and uh, we. We just thought it might be better to, to hold him if, if we could manage it and um, uh, to let that injury settle. Um, so we were able to do that and uh, he, he Kieran will work hard now with the recovery and the rehab on that over the next uh, two weeks. And what was the prognosis on Davy Burns' injury as well? Yeah, Davy just got a knock on the knee, uh, whatever little twist he had, but uh, uh, you know, the, the picture is good for Davy. He's um, got it scanned and he should be back in the training ground next week. Yeah, um, we're disappointed we didn't have him for for this one. Um, you know, Jack's one of those players that we'd like to be getting game time, but you just didn't want to take the risk with him um, uh, for this particular one. But definitely, hopefully, he'll be he'll be uh, fully fit to participate for the next one. Thanks indeed there to Desi Farrell for his thoughts post the win over Kildare last Saturday and he mentioned the next one it is against Sligo it's our neutral venue game taking place next Sunday at Kingspan Breffney Park against Sligo throw in time is at 1.45 OK we're going to turn our attention now to hurling and the massive weekend of championship action in Munster and Leinster as their senior hurling championships come to a conclusion last year they played the Leinster final Saturday Munster final Sunday. This year they're both on the same day so it's a hurling man's heaven isn't it Sean Lane this weekend? It surely is Declan and anybody gets between me and the television between 2 and 6 tomorrow will be in trouble (laughs) (laughs) Very good Okay, well let's start then with our own province Leinster. Galway playing Kilkenny for the second consecutive year in the Leinster final. It's a game that doesn't have the same kind of circus attached to it if you like that it had last year in terms of Henry Shefflin versus Brian Cody. Still an Leinster title to be won and a precious victory it would be for either side tomorrow. How do you see it going? Yeah, it, it definitely is, Declan. It, it takes on a life of, of its own. You and me agreed here three months ago that probably Kilkenny and Galway would be in the Leinster final. And I actually think both their campaigns was played in that spirit where they just did enough to get through. I mean... Galway drew with Kilkenny in Kilkenny. Galway were terrible uh, the first half against Dublin the last day. Now, Dublin actually played really well. But but even like the last day, Kilkenny, you'd say, fine, they'll take care of Wexford, particularly after they'd lost to Westmead. But Kilkenny conceded 4-23. So they're both in the final, and I think they've both had their eyes on this game for a long time. And remember, Declan, the loser of this game, the winner, Galway have won three Leinster titles, Kilkenny of 74 but the loser of this competition of this game will end up playing Tipperary or or awfully in the back door more than likely Tipperary and none of them will want that either yeah but the greater need for a victory is Galway's I would suggest I I would agree and Henry particularly I I would agree 100% it's it's Henry's second year he he definitely on on championship form last year he did run Limerick to a couple of points and remember Limerick are playing uh, not as well now this year as they did last year so that's good form for Galway but you know still the two big games in the in the group you know they only drew at Dublin they only drew at Kilkenny haven't shown the form but I, I just think if if, if, if Conor Whelan Evan Nyland and, and Joe, Connelly, Joe Cooney's two sons Joseph and Kevin can hit form there's four good forwards and I think the Galway team has picked Tom Monaghan has picked the start as well there's some really really good scoring forwards there and if anybody can have an influence on 
gelling forwards to play together it's Henry Shefflin so it's a bigger day for Galway there is no doubt about that um, and I think they'll be Galway very disappointed if they don't win tomorrow Yeah disappointing quality final last year and they're playing Sunday this year and it's also the second game now many people might have anticipated it'd be the other way around in the Munster final with all due respects to the Leinster Championship would have a greater status and be the second yeah, game I, 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 I'm glad you asked me that because it was said to me during the week that th- th- undoubtedly this is the greatest Munster Championship I have ever seen but then I looked at the Leinster Championship and uh, let's take Dublin and the Wexford game. A tremendous game of hurling, particularly the second half. The last day, Kilkenny versus Wexford. Another absolutely tremendous game of hurling. Galway and Kilkenny in Nolan Park. Probably not the greatest game of hurling, but fierce, exciting. Galway came back for four or five points. So we've had tremendous games in Leinster as well as Munster. Albeit the standard, I think, is a little bit higher in Munster. But they may suffer for that now. A lot of those lads have four and five, four really hard games under their belt where Galway and Kenny have just been edging closer to the Leinster final and an All-Ireland semi-final. I think they'll be fresher going into that stage. Still the Bob O'Keefe Cup, isn't it, for the Leinster? That's it. It's a new one. Uh, relative, when I say relative, it's about 10 years now because I know Johnny McCaffrey collected it 10 years right. ago. And uh, God rest, Jimmy Gregg handed it to indeed, him. Indeed, yes, indeed. Great, great memories and we'll have plenty more coverage of that main event coming up over the next uh, six weeks or so. But in a word, finally, Sean, on the Leinster Championship final tomorrow, is it going back to the banks of the Nore or is it going west? Well, we spoke about the, 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 the Galway, you know, kingpins and, and who'll have to play well. On, on the Kilkenny side, I've looked at their team. I mean, um, Mikey Carey's in there, for you know, come from nowhere. So he's starting tomorrow. They've moved Richie Reid out of centre-back into the middle of the park. Parik Walsh has dropped from the last day. So they're obviously taking the concession of 4.23 against Wexford the last day seriously and have made some moves. I, I, my heart says Galway and I'd love to see Galway do and I, I think there's something about me says that Henry just will get Galway going but if I was to put my house in one of them tomorrow it, it would be Kilkenny and, and uh, do you know that they'll go for the 75th uh, Leinster title which is a you know tremendous achievement How do you spell Kilkenny? Just writing this down here. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, so <coughs> that's that's great on that one. Now, the Munster Championship final is taking place tomorrow afternoon at the Gaelic Grounds in Limerick, the earlier throw-in time. I think it's one forty-five for that one, isn't it, tomorrow? Yeah. Uh, Limerick, the All-Ireland Champions, the Munster Champions taking on their very near neighbours, Clare. Now, the first thing about this is there was a lot of discussion about the venue for the game. Many people thought it might have been Parky Keeve. Traditionalists probably wanted it in Semple Stadium in Thurles. It's in Limerick. It's by agreement with both parties. Um, so what's your own thoughts on it? Well, I suppose Clare just threw down the gauntlet to them. I mean, Clare drew with them last year in the Munster final and were beaten an extra time. Clare have beaten them already this year. Uh, I think Clare, what they really said is, here, look, we'll play anywhere. We're not afraid of you. But I listened to what John Coyley said and I, I worry now that he basically is building up the fact that it's a privilege for Limerick to play the Munster final in Limerick. It sounds awfully like to me, lads, you may lose a game next year or the year after or even this year, but you're not going to lose this one on Sunday. Uh, I just think that it, it will be an advantage to, to Limerick. Uh, it might take them a while to get going, maybe 10 or 15 minutes. But from a Limerick point of view, they are getting a little bit better. People were very critical of them, Declan, three and four or five weeks ago. But, I mean, if they're half-back line of, of Dermot Bournes, Declan Handel and Kyle Hayes, if all three of them can hit form tomorrow, um, it's going to be very, very difficult for Clare. Yeah, they had an epic game last year, didn't they? In the, they did, in the, and the went final. to extra, extra time. time. Yeah, yeah. and I, equally, if I was to balance that, I picked out three forwards. If, if David Fitzgerald, Tony Kelly and Shane O'Donnell on the other side all hit form and the, the, the half-back line of Limerick didn't hit form, 
you can right. see the result going Clare's way. You know, this, the, it's a game that can go either way. Right. So who are you nailing your colours to the mask? I'm for? going to go with Limerick, and and if if before the the venue was decided, I probably was favouring Clare, but I've just done a little bit of thought on it. I'm not saying I'll be right, and no doubt if I'm wrong, I'll be reminded of it next week. I've no doubt about no, that. Not but, like me. <laughs> but I just think that that Limerick, you know, they're getting better. Uh, Keane Lynch probably won't start, but will come in and probably, um, you know, will will add a bit more value. I, I'll just go for Limerick on this one. Limerick to be Munster champions once again, says Sean Lane tomorrow. Really looking forward to both those games. Well, not that you'd know it, but the Dublin Camogie team opened their Glen Dimplex All-Ireland Series this afternoon. They're away to Tipperary at the RAG. Throw-in time is at 5 o'clock. They're in a very tough group with Wexford and Kilkenny, Sean, as well. Jerry McQuaid's side didn't have the best of leagues, it must be said. Improved significantly in the Leinster Championship, which is a separate competition to the All-Ireland mm. Series. What a way to open it. Tipperary away. It is excellent. And, and, and look, you know, we, we gave these girls great credit and, and credit really is due to them. They had a terrible bad campaign. They've had change of managers, two managers changes over the last 12 months. Um, but they did roll their sleeves up and got to a Leinster final. Beat Wexford the first day no one expected. Put up a tremendous score against me. And you know, with, with two and three minutes to go, they were still fighting for their lives to beat Kilkenny in the Leinster final, which was absolutely fantastic. New structure in the Camogie though this year, Declan. Uh, f- f- three groups of four. And, um, you know, Dublin are definitely in a really difficult group. Having said that, um, I've had a look at the team. Uh, Orla Gray and, and Eve O'Brien, three and six. Definitely, you know, two experienced Nafina girls. We've Mirren Keller in the middle of the park. And up front, our own girl from Ballantyre, Grace O'Shea, uh, along with the two Ashlings, Ashling Mar and Ashling O'Neill. I genuinely believe if they stand up today at five o'clock, as you say, we, we, we'll get a result in Tipperary in the Mogi Declan, which would be great. And I hope... Uh, all the girls and boys go down and give them the support that they deserve. Okay, it's time to turn our attention to football now. I'm delighted to be joined on the line by the one and only Alan Cawley. Good morning, Alan. How are you? I'm good, Reggie. How are you? Oh, never better, never better. Uh, I tell you, what a difference a week makes, Alan. We were talking last Saturday about the title race and, uh, you know, real competition. And within a week, Bowes lose 2-1 to Cork City on the Monday night. Derry lose 4-1 to St. Pat's on that same Monday night. Rovers win 3-0 away from home. Then last night, Derry and Bowes play out um, uh, a, a nil-all draw. And Rovers go 4-0 against you. CD and all of a sudden it's uh, running away again with Rovers Yeah it's amazing Reggie isn't it in the space of as you say a week and obviously two matches because we had the midweek game as well and I was in Sligo on Monday night and Shamrock Rovers were comprehensive winners and, and looked every bit league title winners in waiting as well they played really well to follow it up with UCD who we'd expect and yeah there's a six point gap now Reggie and I was in Derry also we were covering that game last night and Derry and Bones who you would feel are the closest challengers to Shamrock Rovers look a good bit off uh, overtaking them I have to say at the moment different story for Bowes because it's their first season and they were never expected to challenge but from their point of view they were expected to challenge and even though they're second and six points behind I just can't see them overtaking Shamrock Grove it's too inconsistent yeah, and, and there seems to be an awful lot of inconsistency across the whole league. Like I said, you get Pats winning 4-1 at home to Derry on Monday night and then going away to Drogheda and losing 2-1. Like, it, it seems odd that teams are not able to follow up performances. Um, even Shelburne, they win 3-2 on the Monday night um, 
uh, at home to draw there, but uh, only draw one all at home to Sligo Rovers. A lot of it just not making sense. Yeah, and that's the problem for a lot of them chasing down Shamrock Rovers is that because Shamrock Rovers are so good, and I know they lost a couple of games last week, but they're capable, as we've seen before, of reeling off eight, nine wins on the trot. So if you're chasing them down, Reggie, you need to win five, six, seven, eight games on the trot also. And because of the inconsistency of all those teams you mentioned that are chasing them down, you just can't see them doing that. Um, and that's the issue, in, in obviously, when you're trying to close down a gap and you're trying to overcome Shamrock Rovers. They're just too inconsistent, all the teams. Uh, and I think they're fighting it out for the European places now, the rest of them. Because it's a six-point gap. I can only see that being extended. The only little kind of glimmer of hope you would give some of the teams is that when the European games come around, and hopefully, obviously, Shamrock Rovers get a good run in that, but that might allow a couple of teams maybe to, to close the gap a little bit if Shamrock Rovers are obviously playing midweek games and travelling and stuff like that, that might stretch their squad a little bit. But in terms of the league games, I think they're a good bit ahead of everybody else, not just on the, the points table, just in, in quality alone. Yeah, good morning, Al. Declan here. Morning, Declan. Uh, how are things? Alan, just, just thinking there, you know, Rovers obviously say surging six points ahead, um, but they have the experience last year where they combined the, the European adventure, which was a prolonged one, getting to the group stages of the Europa Conference League, and the domestic stuff, they got, o- they got over the line. Their experience would probably stand to them this year. But we've got a break now next week, of course. Who does that break benefit the most, do you think? Who needs it the most? I think looking at Derry City last night, Declan, they definitely need it because obviously they have a lot of injuries as well. Um, they're going through a really sticky patch in terms of form, two points out of 12. So I think it's come at a good time for them. For the teams maybe that picked up a victory last night, obviously they would have maybe wanted to continue uh, I know Damien Duff had strong feelings after the match about what he felt about the break as well. So it depends, really. I think it probably helps a lot of teams, Declan, because they want to get players back and recharge the batteries. Um, but for Shamrock Rovers, they're the ones sitting pretty, six points clear. They have all their players sitting well. They'll be able to rest, taking those games, and obviously knowing that they have to push in at six points and hoping to extend that as well. Yeah, then of course they come back after the break and their first game is Bohemians away at Daly Mount Park and uh, Derry City just a few days later in, in, in Talla Stadium. Uh, could be a crucial four days in the, in the title race. Could all be over really, couldn't it, at that stage, if they got six points? Exactly. Uh, obviously two massive games, but you look at both as well and they've only won in seven about inconsistency and chasing down Rovers one win and uh, so that's a huge game for them but I always felt as I mentioned earlier Bohemians were only in the race for Europe really Declan Devine's first season in charge if he was to get back into Europe and build on that I think that's a great return and, and they're certainly on course for that from Derry's point of view obviously I felt like they had to win um, just to try and keep in the race now I know people will suggest there's still 18 games to go but because of the inconsistency and the fact that I mentioned that They'll need to win seven, eight, nine games in a row just to close the gap on Shamrock Rovers. I just can't see it, Declan. Mm. Yeah, plenty to go in that uh, league. There's no question about it. And a lot to follow and watch. Uh, we have to uh, talk also, Alan, about the Champions League final, obviously. Um, you get a, 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 a final that for many years I haven't seen such a, an under rated or less talked about Champions League final that I can ever remember it's it's a strange one isn't it it seems to have crept up very little chat and also not really all that juicy an affair for, for us to look forward to yeah I'd agree with that Reggie it's kind of um, 
almost to the point of view, as you say, it's upon us here, but there's been very little chit- chit-chat about it, almost to the point where people are thinking it's a foregone conclusion mm. because City are so strong. Inter Milan are coming into this as major kind of uh, underdogs. But I wouldn't write them off, Freddie, and I, I don't think it is a foregone conclusion. Obviously, City are fantastic, as we know, brilliant team. But as we seen even in the Cup final last week, Man United gave them a game and Man United are, in, are, are an ordinary enough team at best and obviously very much a work in progress. Inter Milan will go into that game tonight. You'd, you'd like to think well-organised, well-disciplined with that kind of fire in the belly as most passionate Italian teams would have. So I don't think it'll be a foregone conclusion, but you would have to fancy City just on, on form and the fact the quality that they have all over but I think Inter Milan will give them a game Yeah well it's like you said it's hard to analyse the game in some ways because you don't know what to expect from Inter because they they were so such a mixed bag uh, in the sort of quarterfinals semifinals all the way through this you didn't really know what you were going to get each week No that's been the problem because they are surprise uh, finalists as we all know people we'd all expect maybe a Real Madrid or PSG or Juventus or wherever the case may be but Inter Milan are there on merit and although they beat an ordinary AC Milan team I still think they were comprehensive in how they went about it and I think that's what's going to be what make the difference for them tonight in the sense that they obviously beat AC Milan and they know it's a much tougher but I think they're well capable of putting up a good test to Man City I do think they've quality players around the place they've a brilliant centre forward in Lautaro Martinez who scored lots of goals as well Midfielder quite strong with Barella and um, Agalu as well. So uh, there's some experience with Brozovic, and I, and they do have that kind of feisty Italian passionate fire that we all love to see as well. And they'll bring that mm. and almost bring chaos to the game, Reggie. And I think that's what they might need to do as well, just to kind of upset Man City and get in their faces and stifle them a little bit. So I hope that's what what emerges tonight. I don't think it'll be a cakewalk for Man City. We all know the pattern and how they play, and they'll want to dominate the game with the ball and possession. Uh, but I think Inter Milan will bring an energy and a fight that, that might just want to get in their faces. And as I say, they do have players at the top end of the pitch. Even Lukaku, who will probably come on as an impact sub, they do have players at the top end of the pitch that can score goals and make a difference. Uh, City are a, a, a funny team. You know, any, any neutrals tonight, obviously we've got City fans here uh, in this country, but not that many, let's be honest. Certainly they haven't grown their fan base anywhere like other clubs would have who have achieved the success that they have. They're a funny team in the sense that the, the neutrals seem to want Inter to win this. That They don't really want City to win this game. What is it about them that makes them hard for us to kind of take on board or want to follow? I think the ownership, Reggie. Mm. And I think that's obviously a big elephant in the room and everybody knows about that and that's why people are suggesting there'll be an asterisk around this treble if they go and win it. Now from the football angle, you can only admire them and Pep Guardiola and, and the way they play and the way he coaches them and the quality that they have. Everybody will throw throw at them about the money that he has spent and of course he spent a lot of money but I still think you have to manage that and manage egos and manage superstar players and coach them in a way that they play some of the most best football that we'll probably ever see um, so you have to admire them from that but the stuff off the pitch and we've seen it with all the debate and the discussion breaking out around the golf during the week as well something similar there's no different there and it certainly brings a cloud over it in my view Reggie because you have to look at obviously the ownership and I don't think it's right uh, in terms of that Newcastle something similar and you have to ask the question where is football going with this kind of uh, non-regulation and allowing states by football clubs that can't be right and bottomless pits in terms of money and what they can do with revenue and how, they, how they're how they able to spend that and wrangle their way around the kind of 
uh, fair play rules as well in terms of spending money. So I think there'll always be an asterisk around that. But from a football aspect, you can only admire Guardiola and the way they play and when you see what's happened with the golf, it's only going in one direction, isn't it? Because that was kind of proof in the pudding that money just talks at the end of the day. Money does talk, Reggie, and it's sad because obviously we're sport lovers and we've grown up, you'd like to think, with wholesome content in terms of Irish sport and the way we all loved the way sport was played. And But unfortunately, the way the world is going with money and power and, and it's only it's only getting bigger and, and more extravagant and more flamboyant and and sadly, the, the common man and the common person has been left behind in this horrible corporate spending world. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's interesting the way it's going. All right, there's no doubt about it. And uh, as we said, probably not going to get uh, any better anytime soon. But in the meantime, we do have a Champions League final to look forward to. I'll be watching it tonight with the kids. They're excited about it anyway. Um, so that's it, it's a it's a good Saturday evening and something to look forward to in that sense. I'm sure you'll watch it yourself and enjoy it, Reggie. Yeah. Regardless of that, Champions League final is still the showpiece. It's amazing. Exactly. Uh, no matter who's in it, and I'll be glued to it myself. Thanks for listening to Dublin Stock and Sport on Sunshine 106.8 from myself, Ken and Reggie. Have a good weekend.